good to see everybody, everybody. One of my favorite things to ever do in church. I'm not sure it's good, but do me a favor. Look at the person next to you. Look them right in the eye and let them know if it wasn't for me, you would be the best looking thing in here. <laughs> I'm not sure you should say it at church, but it, it's becoming a thing we do around here. It is so good to have all of you again. It's an honor that you come and hang out with us on a first Wednesday. I'm really excited about our special guest this evening. He hails from the great state of Ohio. I don't know if you guessed it. And, and us Southerners have extended the hand of an invitation to come be with us in the great state of Mississippi. This man has uh, is an incredible uh, communicator, preaches really all over. He pastors a church called Rust City Church in Youngstown, Ohio. Him and his wife and several kids are doing a great thing there and just reaching a lot of people and just changing a lot of lives. And, and he really travels. He'll be everywhere all the time. So if you're ever following him, and he's just gone all the time, moving around the country, preaching the gospel, getting people saved. Amen? And so I asked him, come hang out with us for a little bit. Come to Mississippi. And uh, somebody's getting a phone call. Who is it? Somebody want to answer? But um, uh, I asked him, come on down to Mississippi, hang out with us for a few days. So he hung out with the staff today, and, and I'm really glad that he decided to join us. So here's what we got to do, church. You know, the, you, know the, you know the game here is that when we have a guest in, we amen them, we clap, we, we help them preach. So let's just practice a little bit. Somebody shout amen. amen. Somebody say preach that. Do me a favor, get on your feet, put your hands together, and give some honor and some love to my friend, Pastor Doug Garassic. Hey, can we honor our pastors in the house? Can we put our hands together and honor them? I love them. Man. Pastor Ethan, you're so good looking, I can slap you. Man, I love you. I've been waiting to use that all day on him. Now we're friends for many, many years. I love him and his wife. They're just beautiful people. They love God. I've watched him grow from a youth pastor to where he is today. And can I encourage you, we miss him in Ohio, but we see the fruit and the labor and the thing that God is doing here. And we say yes and amen all the way from back home in Ohio. We love them and I know y'all do too. Do me a favor, give your neighbor a high five and say, I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you today. Man, oh man, oh man. Now listen, like Pastor Ethan said, I'm a, I'm a crowd participation preacher. What that means is I will preach better the more you talk back to me. So I like amens. I like that's good. And I like preacher white boy. So on the count of three, shout out whatever's in your spirit. One, two, three. Okay, all right, <laughs> okay. One time I was preaching in Texas. You know, they're crazy in Texas. I love them, but they're crazy. And somebody in the third row forgot what I said to say. And you know, towards the end of the sermon, you know, when the music comes back out and the, the pastor's landing the plane, right? We're getting ready to go eat something. And... And I'm finishing up, and I'm driving my point home, and we're getting there, and this guy forgets what I said to say, and he screams out as loud as he can from the third row, preach it, cracker! <laughs> no, sir. 
Listen, you can try a lot of things. Don't try the ushers here at Vibrant. They will remove your butt from this service. I'm kidding. You're gonna find out I like to laugh. I like to have a good time. Jesus didn't save me to make me boring. Listen, Jesus didn't save me to make me somebody that the world doesn't look at and say, what do you have that I don't have? You, you, you might have not realized this, but, but the, I used to party to forget all of my pain, all of my problems, all of my hurts, all of my frustrations. And then I encountered this man named Jesus. And now I party still because all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes home. And so I party no longer to forget, but I party to remember the grace of God, the goodness of God, his power and might working through me in spite of me. So I don't come to church. I don't come to church for a funeral. I come to church for a party. And so if you like to have a good time, you with the right ginger. Come on, somebody. Listen, my life, even though today I honor God and I'm so grateful for him, but it did not start that way. I've seen the providence and the grace of God throughout my life time and time again. And when I should not have gotten, God still brought me in. His grace is scandalous. His grace is undeserving. The person you think should never find God, often God shows up in their life. So my mom found out she was pregnant with me in 1984. And she was 16 years of age. And in 1984, now some of y'all looking at me saying, that, he looks like he's 11, 12, 13 years old. And I want to say, God bless you, my friend. For the Lord is good to you as well. <laughs> but my mom, she found out she was pregnant with me, 1984. And my grandfather was a religious man. My grandfather was actually an elder at the local church. And when my mother came home with this mistake... He wanted her to do something to fix the mistake. You catch what I'm saying? He didn't want that mistake in his house. And she said she went up to her room when she was a little girl and she cried out to the Lord and she said, Jesus, I need the God from Sunday school to show up and speak to me right now. And she said she felt like she heard God speak to her for the first time in her life with this baby growing inside of her stomach. And she said, I felt like the Lord said to me, Lisa, that's my mama's name, Lisa, if you give me this mistake, I will turn it into a miracle. I'm here to encourage you, church. I don't know what mistakes you think you've been carrying around with in your life. I don't know what mistakes that you feel like you have carried and it's been a burden and a scarlet letter A on you. But I'm here to encourage you, when you give it to Jesus, he takes mistakes and he turns them into miracles. So let me show you something, because I just want to, my wife Stephanie sends her love, and I want to show you a picture. Now, before you put it up, just give me a second, media people. I need to set it up. So I have my wife, who I've been married to now for 13 years, and I've got three little boys. And you're going to see this image of our family. And you're going to decide when you see this image of our family, there is one person who does not belong in this family. I'm going to give you the chance to figure it out. You got that picture? Can y'all throw that out? Okay, look at that right up there. Now drink it in for a second. There are one person who does not fit in that house, and it's not a dude. If you got one ginger in your life, you got too many. Then we had our first child, we knew it was mine. Then we found out we were pregnant, we had a second child, we knew it was mine. 
Then we had a third child, and I told my wife, if we got any more and they ain't redheads, we're going to have problems in this house, girl. I'm going to tell you that right now. I love you, but we know the genes are strong. That's Parker James, my oldest. That's Ian Douglas, my middle child, who's just, the, that, don't let that grin for you. He'd take over a third world country in a minute. And then our little surprise, Lincoln Fox. That's our little bad boy, Lincoln Fox, right there. He's so cute, I can't take him. They say your first kid wants to know what the rules are. Your second kid wants to challenge the rules. Your third kid says, what rules are you even talking about? <laughs> and that picture is a miracle of God, and let me tell you why. So my mom had me when she was 16, right? I never knew my biological father. When I got a little bit older, I got interested in finding out, like anybody who doesn't know their biological uh, parent, what's the story? I find out that my biological father, when I do my genealogy, didn't know his biological father. His biological father, who would be my grandfather, did not know his biological father. I was the fourth of generations of fatherless men. Wouldn't it be God to redeem me as a fourth after three generations to give me three sons to remind me, Doug, you don't live under the curse of your physical father. You live under the promise of your heavenly father. So every time I see that picture, it's a reminder of the faithfulness of God in my life. That when he shows up, he breaks generational curses. And he rewrites stories. Can I get an amen in the house of God? I love them. I'll see them tomorrow. I'm going to get on a plane first thing and go see them again. I can't wait. Now, being a dad and being a husband, man, I need you to lean in for a second with me. I want to show you something that you need to learn, especially if you've got littles in the house. There is a moment when your wife has had too much time with your children, and if you don't recognize the moment, it's going to be like one of them animal specials. You know, they talk about some eat their young. <laughs> Ladies, can I get an amen? There are some moments where you're like, listen, if you don't recognize your wife is not having a day and she needs to get away, you might lose a child or you might lose yourself. You don't know yet. It could be what we call a dateline special at your house. One night I got home, we just had two, we didn't have the third yet. The second, the middle child was in diapers. And I get home and my wife says to me, she goes, hey, I've had a really, 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 really rough day. And I'm like, okay. And I decided, the spidey senses go off. And I decide, baby, I need you to go ahead and take the car. I need you to take the credit card. I need you to go out with your girlfriends. I need you to have a good time. I need you to enjoy life. You need to not worry about these children. They're going to hang out with their dad. And you just go out and enjoy some time with your girlfriends. And I said, go. And she, here's something that you need to learn as a man in a relationship with a woman. When she doesn't trust you and she doesn't believe you, she will speak to you like you're one of the children in the house. She goes, you know, watching these kids is a big responsibility, Doug. They have to survive through the night while I'm gone. You have to feed them. You have to change a diaper in one of them. You have to, and I'm, I, so I go, baby, I need you to go and enjoy the night before we ruin this night right now, okay? So just go, have fun. They're fine. I am their father. It's all good. Go. The moment she shuts the door, that car leaves the driveway. I look at those two boys, and I go, you boys ready to party? 
crank up the music, turn the TV on loud. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you got Costco's or Sam's Clubs or any kind of store where you can buy some big bulk things, okay? We've got a Costco. And you can buy at our Costco a container of cheese puffs that you could put a child in and barrel roll them down a hill. We have that on top of our refrigerator. I grab this barrel, I open it up, and I treat my kids. I don't know if you've seen the game Hungry Hungry Hippos where they eat the marble things. I start pouring the cheese puffs on the ground, and my kids are like, best night of our lives. We're laughing, having fun, dancing, being crazy, and my little one who's in a diaper has a T-shirt on, just his diaper. He has got so many cheese puffs in his mouth. He looks like a squirrel just trying to get ready to hibernate. And he's eating them, eating them. And then a few moments later, he just kind of says to me, Dad, uh, I think I got boo-boo belly. And I try to explain to him, that's consequences of partying too hard. Lesson learned. <laughs> I thought I was teaching him as a father. And he's like, no, I got boo-boo belly. I got boo-boo belly. And I'm like, you're okay, you're okay. And, then he, and, and if I have any parents in the room, you're gonna, you, your spirit's going to resound with this in a moment, okay? Because you've experienced this at one point or another. At some moment, he's like this. He goes, uh, uh, uh. And there's a term called blowout diaper. Who knows what I'm talking about? Whew, I felt a shift in the room when I said that. <laughs> blowout diaper means it, it's supposed to stay in the diaper, but it goes out of the diaper. He goes, and normally it goes up or down. His went to the side. <laughs> I'm like, goo, whoa, what just happened? And we have hardwood floors, and he's in a little bitty bare feet. And he goes, oh, and he starts stumbling after this moment and begins to walk literally right into the mess that he created. Bare feet, hardwood floors, slippery surface. You know where I'm going with this. He slips in the mess, falls straight on his back, and in his panic of not knowing what to do, flares his arms. He's making snow angels. <laughs> this happens in three seconds. He then goes, Dada, I need help. I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at the front door. Looking at him, and I'm deciding she'll be home at any point now. And if I just leave, they'll survive. And he won't remember this. Dada, I need help. And finally, I snap out. I'm like, okay, I gotta do something. I straddle over top of this whole situation. I grab him by the t shirt that he was wearing. Praise God, he had a t shirt on. And without even bending my elbow, I had the superhuman strength of a mother who lifts a car to save their child. I just lift him up in the air like this. I'm holding him like I'm the Terminator. He's dangling in the mess that he's created. I'm going to take him to the shower and just hose him off. I'm holding him like this. And he says the most audacious thing to me in this moment that you could ever say. He goes, Dada, I, I need a hug. No. Dada, I, I need a hug. No. And I don't know how God speaks to you. I don't know the moments that you feel God encountering you. Most of the time, it's in the most inopportune moment of your life. And it was like a lightning bolt that hit me, that God revealed something to me that was so powerful in this moment. He said, Doug, 
when you made a mess of your life, and you were laying in the mess that you made and the filth and the pain and this, and you cried out for me as your dad to hug you and embrace you. I didn't hold you at an arm's length. I brought you in because I am your dad. Don't cheer at this point. <laughs> and he says, I embraced you. Why can't you embrace your son? And so, folks, I got to be honest with you. In that moment, I didn't want it, but I did it. And we had a poop sandwich hug in that moment. And I embraced my kid. And you know why I did it? Because a father's mercy is greater than your mess. Your father's mercy is greater than your mess. Some of us have been living in a mess for so long that we don't know any other way to live. And I'm here to encourage you tonight with everything I've got on the inside of me that his mercy is greater than your mess. That his mercy can show up in your life and it can change everything that you thought was happening. And he can say, no, 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 no. I know you've been living in this. I know you feel like you deserve this. I know you don't think you have what it takes to get out of this. But guess what, my kid? My mercy's greater than that mess that you're walking in right now. And I'm gonna embrace you. I'm gonna love you. And I'm gonna see you through this thing. And I can tell some of y'all don't believe me. I can tell some of y'all are saying, is this even biblical? I don't know where he's going with this right now. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is a story in the Bible that changed my life. Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at a guy named Bartimaeus. And we're going to look at a story of a moment where God shows up when you don't think he should where he should. And he meets in your mess. Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at verse number 46 to get started. And here's what it says. Then they, this is Jesus and the disciples, reach Jericho. Now, you need to know something about Jericho. It was a resort, and it was a place that was very affluent. It had a lot of favor. Many former military of the Romans, uh, uh, Roman guard and the Roman Empire would retire there. A lot of po politicians would retire there. It was a place that they liked things to be clean and order and not messy. They reached Jericho, Jesus and the disciples. And, and as they're leaving the town, a large crowd began to follow them. And then check this out. A blind man, say blind man. Blind. Named Bartimaeus. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, to be more specific. Notice how we learn his label before we get introduced to his name. We learn that he is blind, which means he's disabled. And he's a beggar, which means he has no means. How many times in your life have you been letting your label lead you instead of the name that God gave you? How many times did a teacher tell you you weren't good enough? You weren't qualified? How many times did you have somebody speak a curse over you, like a parent say you're good for nothing? You had a loved one or a relationship say you're never gonna amount to anything? And you began to believe labels that man put on your life. We learn that he's blind and he's a beggar before we find out the name that God gave him. See, People want to put things on us and tell us who we can be, what we can be, and where we can go. And you've got to learn somewhere inside of you that I refuse to be labeled by what man says about me. I'm going to listen to what God says about me. See, I had a teacher who told me in my freshman year, Doug, you're the worst writer I've ever seen. He's an English teacher. You're the worst writer. In my 30 years of teaching, I've never seen a worse writer. You literally can't put a sentence together to save your life. And now, 
after I published two books and a third book on the way, and one was number one on Amazon, just so you know, a little humble drop, I wrote in my first book to him, hey, Mr. Kozar, how you like me now? <laughs> a student at the school that I went to gave him a copy of it. He opened it up and read it, a book. I wrote a book about Jesus. He's not a Christian. He decided for every period, for seven periods in a row that day, every class he had, he read the opening of my book to every single class. And he said, I made a mistake. Don't ever let somebody define who you can be in life. So I'm just here to encourage you. Men are gonna label you something that makes them comfortable. What they think about you. What about what the Bible says about you? Last time I checked, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not meant to be the tail. You're meant to be the head. But there's a God in the universe who saw you before the foundations of mankind and looked at you and said, this is my creation, which I am well pleased with. You're not an accident, even if your mommy and daddy said you're an accident. God saw you to be here for such a time as this. I'm here to encourage you. you as human beings, we're going to be attracted to labels. I've chosen not to listen to man's labels on my life. I've chosen to pick up God's labels on my life. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so every one of us is going to be tempted with labels. Pick which ones you choose to put on you. And so when we meet this man named Bartimaeus, let's learn about him. It says this, that he was sitting by the wayside. Say wayside. Say wayside. So for those of you who haven't studied Roman history, here's what we know. Rome is the first uh, group of people, the first empire to create what we call indoor plumbing. Do I have anyone in the house of God who is grateful for indoor plumbing? If you're not, there's something wrong with you. So often when somebody's oppressed or dealing with maybe an attack from the enemy and feeling not worthy or feeling like they're going through some bad things, I try to remind them, be grateful for the smallest things in your life and watch what God does. Gratefulness will change your perspective on a whole lot of things in life. Last time I checked, I had an option of clothes that I could wear. Last time I checked, I had a vehicle that was reliable. Last time I checked, I had some people who loved me and were in my corner. Last time I checked, I had a toilet that flushed. Come on, somebody. You gotta learn how to be grateful for even small things in life. And as you're grateful in the little, God will give you more. But Rome creates indoor plumbing. And here's what happens. There were three main roadways in the Roman society. There was a main marketplace, which is where all the commerce happened, where you would buy goods, you'd buy all kinds of different trades, all these things. A lot of people were there. It was very high traffic. What you might know as a Roman's roads is what I'm talking about. That's the first kind of roadway that we know about. Then there was a secondary roadway that had water, fresh water ditches that came into the city so the indoor plumbing could have fresh water for all their different Roman bathhouses and all their different indoor plumbing and all those kind of things that they were creating. So they had a fresh water way that the water would come into the city. Well, if fresh water comes into the city, Gray water or waste water has to go outside the city. Are you following me? So he's sitting by what old English would call the waste side, or we call the wayside. He's sitting where other people's mess is going by in his life. I wonder how many of us feel like we've been put in a place, in a position in life, where we're sitting by our very own waysides. We're sitting in a place that we wish we weren't, 
We can smell it. We can feel it. It's all around us. And we're thinking to ourselves, I shouldn't be where I am right now. And we're sitting at our waysides. And here's what I think. It's the last place you expect God to show up. It's the last place you expect God to show up. Let's go to verse number 47. Here's what it says. When Barnabas heard, say heard, that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, he heard, because he could not see, he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, which was Joseph's son, a carpenter's son, this just rabbi who's on the scene, who is starting to do his ministry. When he heard that this rabbi was walking by, he shouted out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, for you Bible scholars out there, this is interesting. It's the first time in Mark's gospel that Jesus is introduced as a son of David, which any Jewish person would know in this time meant that he was the promised Messiah from David's lineage who is here to save mankind through salvation of God. No one yet has called him the son of David in Mark's gospel. So here's this blind man who cannot see him. But I imagine he's heard the stories of this young rabbi who's been healing people, who's been feeding people with supernatural miracles, who's been raising the dead, who's been doing miracles that are not of man power. And he's starting to connect the dots. He goes, wait a minute, this isn't just some rabbi walking by me. This is the son of God walking by me right now. And I have an audience with the Son of God in this moment. And if God is walking by me in this moment, I'm crying out to him, have mercy on me. He understood that God was there and he got it by one word different than everyone else. I wonder how many of us are missing God by one word. I wonder how many of us are looking at God and we're like, you know what? You're an option if I need you. Instead of saying, God, you're not a option, you're the option of my life right now. I've got nowhere else to go. I've burnt the ships in my life. I'm not going back to my old ways. I'm not going back to the old things. You are it for me no matter what. I need you to show up and show off in my life. But some of us are like, well, let me ask my sister what she thinks about this. Let me get her opinion. Ah, let me ask my best friend who's just as trifling as I ever would be. Let me ask this person, oh, you know what? I need relationship advice. Let me ask that person who's been divorced five times. They know what they're talking about. I'm broken, so is my sister, but let's talk about how we're going to get our finances right. So often we run to try to hear what we want to hear instead of running to the gospel and saying, change me, I don't need to change you. I need the gospel to show up and be real in my life, which means I'm going to die to me and I'm going to live for it. And it's going to offend me. It's going to inconvenience me. And it's going to force me to not be me anymore, but be Christ in me. So often we want God to be a option instead of letting him be the option. And we're missing Jesus by one word. And I want to encourage you, he's not some carpenter's son. He's the Messiah. He's the miracle worker. He's the one who can do things that you can never do. What you get stuck with in the natural, he says, I do my best work in the supernatural. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, 
have mercy on me. So let's see what happens in the very next verse. Be quiet, many people yelled out at him. And he only shouted louder. Say louder. louder. Notice you can't say louder quietly. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. How do you respond when haters show up in your life? How do you respond when the enemy says, be quiet and remember your place? Don't you dare worship God. What, you know what you did last night. You know who you are. You know you've tried this before and it didn't work the way you hoped it would. How do you respond when enemies and haters show up and tell you to be quiet when you start going after Jesus? You would have people in your life when you start tithing saying, uh, don't give your money to that. It's a waste of your money. And you're saying, no, 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 I know what God said in his word for me to do, and I'm sick of being cursed. I'm ready to be blessed in this area. How about when you say, I'm going to start volunteering and giving my time, and they go, you don't have enough time to even do the things you're supposed to do. Don't let them suck you into that thing. Uh, no, 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 I know what God said to me. My life is not my own. I'm here to serve, not to be served. How do you respond when the enemies tell you you don't belong where you're going, I'm here to encourage you. Be like Barnabas, only shout louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I think so often we think when the enemy shows up in our life, we must be doing something wrong. Oh, I'm feeling all these attacks. I'm feeling all this heat. People aren't agreeing with me. Maybe I should just go back to what I did before this. I'm here to encourage you. The other side of that attack is a breakthrough God has for your life. See, what you thought was meant to break you turns into your breakthrough when you follow Jesus. When you thought you had something to break you, it's often your breakthrough on the other side of it. And in this moment, Barnabas is realizing, I've got God in front of me and I've got the enemy all around me and I gotta get louder for God to hear me right now. So instead of being quiet like they tell me, I'm only gonna worship God harder. See, when I'm going through the worst attacks in my life, when I'm feeling like all hell is breaking out around me, I remind the devil, you made a mistake with that one, son. You screwed up on that one, kid. Because when I feel that heat, it don't make me run from God. It makes me run to God. It makes me worship harder. It makes me give more. It gets me trusting him bigger. Because I know you're doing that, it shows me God's about to do something in my life. So the enemy makes a bad play when he thinks he's going to do that in my life. And Barnabas taught me that. When you deal with the enemies of your life, shout even louder after God. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let's go to the next verse. When Jesus heard him, he stopped. Say stopped. I love that I serve a God who can be inconvenienced by his children. See, when my, I'm doing something, if you ever around me with my kids and we having an intimate conversation and one of my gingers comes up to me and says, Dad, I need you, you're going to watch me leave that conversation with you and go to my kid. You know why? Because you will come and go, and I love you, but you will come and go. But that's my kid right there that needs his dad right now in this moment. Now, I might teach him, hey, buddy, if it's not an emergency, I need you to be respectful and I need you to let daddy talk. But if it's an emergency, your daddy will stop whatever he's doing to make sure you're okay. 
And so here's what I love about Jesus. I don't know what you love about Jesus, but this is what I love about Jesus. It's when I'm in my worst moment and he's going somewhere else and he hears his kid cry out, I need you, Dad, he stops for his kids where they are. Jesus stopped when he heard Barnabas. And then he says, tell him to come here. Now they, do you know who the they are in this story we about to say? The haters that were telling him to be quiet. Then they said, come on, cheer up. He's calling you. Be cognizant of when God starts blessing your life, how haters want to turn into celebrators. And all of a sudden, those same people who are telling you you are not going to make it are like, hey, don't forget me. Don't forget your homies. Don't forget your people. Don't be one of them. No, 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 no. Often, haters become the elevators to where God is trying to take us. And Barnabas, notice this. It says in that, they said, hey, cheer up. Come on, he's calling you. It says that Barnabas threw aside his beggar's coat. We're about to get into that in a minute. Threw aside his beggar's coat, jumped up and went to Jesus. Notice what the Bible did not say. The Bible did not say that the moment they started celebrating him, he went, finally, these guys love me and accept me. Finally, these people are acknowledging me and like me and believe in me. Notice he ignored them when they are hating and ignored them when they are celebrating. See, the enemy knows that when God's about to bless you and he can't stop the blessing of God coming in your life, he'll send popularity towards you in that moment. He'll send popularity to you to get you distracted from the thing that God has called you to because listen, popularity and desire to get likes on social media, desire to be somebody that people think is significant, desire to have all these things in your life. Listen, when that comes in your life, it's a trap that the enemy uses to stop you from getting to your purpose. Popularity is a trap that the enemy uses to entangle you from your purposes. And I'm here to encourage you, don't let popularity derail you from the call that God has on your life. Ignore them when they're hating you. And just go ahead and ignore them when they're celebrating you. And so we notice Barnabas ignores these people. And then the Bible says that he jumps up, he throws aside his beggar's coat, and he comes to Jesus. Now listen, when I read that, I thought, okay, Jericho, beautiful desert oasis, maybe a little warm, like post-rain in Mississippi, a little warm. Maybe it feels like a soup bowl, I don't know. And he had like this beggar's coat on that was like, you know, raggedy old, like hipster kids wear them, raggedy coat, holes all over it. And it might've smelled because he's been sweating, didn't have any deodorant on. Maybe he's been working out his biceps and he wanted his sons out, guns out. I don't know. But the Bible says that he throws aside his beggar's coat. And I didn't think anything of it until I did a little bit of research. And let's go back to that Roman government that did the indoor plumbing. That same government that did indoor plumbing recognized that there were people who were tricking wealthy Romans into giving them benevolence, giving them uh, money to help them because they thought they were poor or handicapped or disabled. And so because Rome noticed this problem going on in their cities, they instrumented a government system to issue beggars' coats to authentic, handicapped, disabled people who needed the benevolence of those who had more money to help them survive and know they weren't getting scammed. Are you following me? So he wasn't wearing some rag 
that didn't have any value to it. He was wearing a government-instituted, issued, authoritative jacket that gave him the ability to survive from day to day. Without it, he would not get benevolence from wealthy people to live from moment to moment. And when he knows that there's a God who has more than what he's been living in front of him, he says, I'm done just surviving. I'm ready to start thriving. I'm ready to see a God do a miracle in my life where I no longer need this thing any longer. And so he throws aside his ways of surviving for this opportunity to encounter a living God. If we're honest, most of us want to hold on to our beggar's coat since we hear what Jesus has for us. Okay, what can you do for me? Okay, I'll take it off. That sounds good. Versus realizing I don't know what God has for me, but man, it's far better than what I've been living with right now. It's so much better than this thing that I've been doing, struggling day to day. Without peace, without joy, without love, without authority, without power, without God moving in my life. I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired. That I'm going to throw aside this very means of surviving. So that I can have an encounter with God who can make me start thriving. And throw, he throws aside all he ever knew to meet a God who can give him something that he never thought he could know. And so here's what happens. He gets it. So let's just remember where we are in the story. He's been sitting by the wayside. He smells. All this stuff is going by. Crowds in Jericho are pushing to get to Jesus. They hear out of this area, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Someone's like, be quiet or get slapped, right? And like, I mean, I don't know that's what they said. And they're like that. And then he's like, ah, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds are pushing. And Jesus stops. Bring him to me. And, and he throws aside his beggar's coat. They're bringing him to him. They're standing him in front of him. Now, let's all pretend we're the crowd in Jericho. We're all there with Jesus. I'm one of the disciples. You're one of the disciples. They bring this guy, I imagine him having some sort of cloth wrapped around his eyes, and they're bringing him towards Jesus in this moment, and he stands before Jesus. I'm there, and you're there, and here's the words that come out of Jesus's mouth. What do you want from me? Now, in that moment, if I'm one of the disciples, I pull my phone out, and I've got this thing live streaming, and I'm like, we about to go viral, y'all. This is happening. Hearts are flying in. Pastor Ethan's double tapping the hearts like crazy. And, I'm ho- and then Jesus asked this dumb question. What do you want from me? And we all know based on what we see in front of us, this guy wants to. We all see this, Jesus. What are you missing? Like, I'm disappointed. I remember when I read the scripture. I don't know how you pray to God. When I talk to God, it's a real conversation. And I say, God, can you, why did you put this verse in the Bible? Like, out of all the problems I got in my life, this is a waste of a verse in the Bible. Help me. You know, if you ask God to reveal things through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will reveal things through the power of the Holy Spirit to you. And so I ask him, God, why, why is this here? And I'll never forget, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Doug, I need to see what kind of faith he had in that moment. I need to see his faith in that moment. What if, Doug, he got before Jesus and Jesus says, what do you want from me? And his response is not, I want to see. What if his response was, 
Jesus, I'm really hungry. I've been begging and I need food. And he's like, let's get him some food. Come on, guys. Somebody, let's get him some food. Disciples, take care of him. Jesus, I've been sleeping outside and I just love a nice bed to sleep in. I'm so tired of sleeping outside. We can help you. We've got people with the program. We're gonna get that together. Go ahead, take care of him. Get him in a home. Let's take care of him. He needs help. This is what he is asking for. What if he would have been like, Jesus, I've been neglected. I've been sitting around in all this mess. All this stuff's covered all over me. I stink. I don't like it. I just want somebody to love me and give me a hug right now. He'd say, Doug, Doug loves hugging people like this. Doug, go ahead and hug him right now. Did you catch that? That's good humor, folks. We, go, we circle back to a joke, okay? He wanted to see what type of faith this man had in the moment. Was he gonna ask God for natural things or was he gonna believe God for supernatural things? There's nothing wrong with asking God to meet you with your daily bread and what you need in the moment. I get that, that's wonderful, we need to do that. But there are some moments in your family, there are some moments in your life, there are some situations that you're walking through where you and your spouse are sleeping in different rooms right now and nobody else knows about it. There's moments with your kids that are running from God and you need to ask a God in heaven, I know you can do natural things, but I need you to do a supernatural thing for me right now. My faith is in you and you alone. If you don't show up, we got no other plan here. I'm daring a people of God for once in your life to quit asking God for just easy things. Dare your God to do something supernatural in your life too. The same God who can bring fire down in the Old Testament is the same God who can show up in your life. And this blind man says, I want to see. There is no human way to do this. You gotta do this through the power of God. In the last verse, verse number 52, and Jesus said to him, go for your faith, say faith, has healed you. Some of y'all think it's just by Jesus' power that heals you. It's your faith that activates that power. The faith the side of a mustard seed can look at the mountains in your life and say, be thou removed and cast into the sea. You've got power in your faith. When you got nothing else, you got faith, my friend. He said, go for your faith has healed you. And this is my favorite part of the whole thing. And it says, instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. You know, the appropriate response of a miracle of God in your life is to follow him all the days after. I'm gonna say that one more time. The appropriate response to a miracle in your life is to follow God all the days after. What if he would have just got his miracle? And here's what some of us do if we're really honest. Thank you, Jesus. Where's that blind beggar's coat again? Where's that coat? Because I gotta get back to what I was getting into. Some of y'all see God show up and you run right back to that toxic relationship. Some of y'all see God show up and you run right back to that workplace that you know you're not supposed to be at. Some of y'all say right back to that friendship that you know God is not blessing that friendship. That is not holy fellowship. That's gossip, my friend. And you get miracles from God and you run on back to that beggar's coat and you find it again. And you wrap yourself in that identity. But what we ought to do is follow him down the road. Wherever he goes, whatever he says, you're my God, I'm not. So wherever you do, I do. Wherever you go, I go. I remember I was bought at a price. Now, now for you Bible scholars, I got one more for you. When I studied this, 
I asked the question, where was Jesus going? Where was he going? If you know anything about the Gospels, the four Gospels, Mark's is the shortest of all four. Where Jesus was going, what he was setting himself to before he stopped for this moment, was he was on his way to die on the cross of Calvary. He was going to his death. So it's a fair assumption to think that Barnabas, if he followed him down the road, he followed him to his death. He followed him to the cross. Many of us realize that when you follow God, you're following God to your very death. But some of us have forgot something. We forgot that he didn't stay dead. We forget that on the third day, he took the keys from death itself and in glory and power, reminded death, you are no longer God of this earth. I hold the power of death over you now. And anyone who follows me might follow me to their death, but they also follow me to their resurrection. See, the God I serve didn't stay dead, church. And the resurrected power of that God has resurrected me in my life. So yeah, I might have followed him to a death of Doug, but I was raised with him in life in Christ. And I'm here to encourage you. The thing that I let die doesn't come close to the life that I get to live now. You think you're giving up a good time, you're missing a great time. Like I said, I used to party to forget, but now I party to remember. And I'm here to encourage you. The appropriate response of God showing up in your life is not to go back to your old ways, but to follow him down the road. And you will follow him to a death, but you also get to follow him to a new life. Would you stand to your feet with me right now all across this beautiful sanctuary? Can I just pray for you for a moment? If you would, just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I want to worship a little bit more. And I'm also going to invite you here in a moment that if you're ready to leave your beggar's coat, if you're ready to leave your wayside, if you're ready to let his mercy be greater than your mess, I don't know your life. I don't know what you're going through. Your best friend here might not know it either. Your spouse might not know it. It's okay. Only God needs to know it. But I'm going to open up what we call the altars, which is really just the front of the church, right where I'm at. And I'm going to ask you in a moment to make your way down here. See, I want to pray with you. I want to believe God with you. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there with them. There is power in agreement. And I don't want you to miss a moment where we can symbolically let go of our beggar's coats. We can cast aside the labels. We can let go of the things that we've been clinging on to to survive. We can remove the mess. And we can step into a newness with Christ. And I want that for you really badly. I didn't come all the way from up north to entertain you, 
tickle your ear. I came here to help you have an encounter with God that should change you and to give you something to say, God, for the rest of my days, I'll fall you down any road you lead me. And I'm okay. I actually know what's gonna be to my death because I'm sick of the life I'm living and I want something new with you right now. You might've been going to church for 30 years. This might be your first time. It's okay. But I believe God right now with you that he wants to do a miracle. So let me pray. And when I'm done praying corporately, I'm gonna invite you to meet me down front and we're gonna pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift a faith in this room right now. We're believing, God, that you are here and you are moving amongst us. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do, which is heal the hearts of men and women, to show us where we need you, to show us where we can put our trust in you, and to believe that you can do impossible things with us. We're not here just for the natural. We're here to see your supernatural power break out in our lives. So I release faith in the room. And we declare your goodness and your grace to reign over every situation, over every person. And we cast aside now our beggar's coats. We let go of everything that's holding us back from you. And we press in now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.